Hello and welcome to another episode of Around the Block. I'm today's host, Victor Boynen, Protocol Specialist at Coinbase Cloud. And with me, I have Amir Halim, the co-founder and CEO of Helium. Super excited to have him on. This is going to be a great conversation. As a gentle reminder, there is no financial, legal, or even life advice being provided during this episode. And with that, sit back and listen. If you wouldn't mind, can you please give our listeners a brief introduction to Helium? Like, how did you guys get started, what it is today, um, and the problems you're solving? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Helium is uh, really uh, focused on building decentralized wireless networks. Or like that is kind of the mission objective of, of what Helium does. Um, as a company, you know, we have been around for quite a long time, like com- coming up on 10 years, actually. Uh, and we've always been very focused on the IoT side of, of the problem. So the IoT is the Internet of Things. Um, primarily focused on things like small sensors, tracking applications, you know, th- things of that nature that get deployed in like, you know, the billions of devices kind of scale. We always wanted to try and solve this problem of like, how do you build a big enough and usable enough IoT network that was cheap enough to use? Um, and that was kind of the lens that we came at the problem from, right? If you wanted these like very small, very, very cheap sensors, uh, and you needed them in like the scale of billions, like there had to be a, a different kind of wireless network that would support that. It couldn't really be a cellular network. It was too expensive. It couldn't be a Wi-Fi network for a bunch of different reasons. And so th- that was the genesis of the company, right? That's why we started it. That's what we were trying to solve. Um, we tried a whole bunch of different approaches until 2017 when we uh, decided to get serious about looking at um, crypto economics as a way to like incentivize or motivate the, the build out of a network like this and make the economics work. So I think for me, at least, like reading something like the Filecoin white paper was, I think, one of the first times when I was like, okay, it's actually like an interesting notion of like the the sort of proof of work is the actual thing, right? Like, so storing files is the work or making file storage space available is the work. That was very different from anything that existed at the time where everyone was, there were other file storage networks um, like storage or, or SIA or SIA. Um, but they were all like a proof of work chain that just kind of stored files as well, right? And so this was the first time that I, I had seen someone try to solve it that way. Maybe there were others. It was just the first one that I'd seen. And so that got us thinking in the direction of like, okay, what if there was a way to to sort of prove that coverage was being created before there were things using it? Uh, and that was kind of the start of the idea of proof of coverage where, you know, you would use ra- radio waves to sort of prove that hotspots were, were doing work. Um, so we started work in 2017. We launched the network in 2019. Uh, it grew from, you know, like 150 hotspots in 2019 to like close to a million t- today. Uh, it's by far the fastest rollout of a wireless network ever. I think it is the largest wireless network in the world itself. Um, so a, like a massive accomplishment to like have, have, have built it this way, not just for us, but for the entire, uh, the entire community and have learned a ton along the journey. Um, and one of the things that we always wanted to do or, or, you know, was even in the original white paper was like, what else can we do with this construction? Like, could we build a cellular network this way? Could you build a Wi-Fi network this way? Like, could you use the same strategy to build other types of network? Uh, and that's kind of the phase of, of life that Helium is going into now, which is this sort of network of networks uh, concept. So it's not just an IoT network, but it's also a 5G network and it's also, you know, a Wi-Fi network and there's all sorts of other stuff coming. So that's kind of the attempt at like a five minute summary of a 10 year journey 
Um, but that's, yeah, super excited about what's what's going on. And, you know, we've had a, a, a big hip, uh, big improvement proposal that just come out, came out in the community in the last week or so. And uh, so, yeah, ton going on. Amazing. And we're definitely going to cover that hip a little bit later. So, you know, you mentioned in 2017 that that's when you initially wanted to start using a blockchain. Um, I'd love to maybe if you could dive in a little bit into what was that moment when you realized like, oh, we can actually better accomplish our goals through the use of a blockchain? Like, was it a specific mechanism that you came up with or incentive model? Like, do you remember what that spark was? You know, we, we had been talking about it in like super broad terms for the longest time. Like just, you know, is there some application here that we should be thinking about um, as it relates to crypto, as it relates to Bitcoin or, or Ethereum? Um, and it wasn't really, I, I think we started to, and I should back up. Our first thoughts there were like, is there some value in like storing sensor data on a, on a blockchain? Like, is there some value of like having this sort of immutable history of like, you know, something happened here or like this was the temperature of something at this time? Like, was there any value in doing it that way? So initially our thoughts were in that direction. Like, is there, is there some value in like storing stuff in this, you know, public ledger? Uh, and it took us a while to, to, to kind of get to the other point. And I, I think it, it really wasn't until something like Filecoin that I think we started to think in that direction of, of like, okay, it's not really about storing stuff on the chain, although you could do that too. And you, you can do that on Helium. It is much more about the economic model that you get to build uh, as a result of like using crypto. And that, that, that was, I don't remember how exactly that kind of thought process flipped. Uh, but for me, it was it was very much motivated by by Filecoin because that was the first time that there was a what I thought was like a really credible and big team that had the, sort of a track record with IPFS. Um, so it was the first time that that seemed like a real application. Like it was actually a genuine thing. It wasn't just like an ICO, you know, that famous horse drawing me meme. Um, but it was like you know that really got me thinking and I think a bunch of the team thinking about like, okay, well maybe you could motivate building a network this way and it would be a completely different model than we originally had in mind where you sort of own the network and you build it out and you incur all the cost and you recoup your cost in the form of, of fees for, for using the network. Like we realized that that would be the trade-off, right? Is that you'd be sort of giving away the network to, so to speak, or you wouldn't own it. Um, but I think it's in hindsight, really the only way to build a network, particularly for IoT, um, where the cost has to be extremely low to use the network, like the capex has to be distributed that way. Like if one company has to like incur multi-billion dollars worth of cost, then the cost to use the network ends up being quite high, right? And you saw this with there was a company called Sigfox, for example. It was a French company building an IoT network also, but doing it the old way, the old-fashioned way of buying all the hardware, finding places to deploy it, like having the rent costs. And in the end, it's just unsustainable. Like it's not a model that that can work specifically for IoT, but perhaps for for telecom in general. Right, it's starting to become extremely expensive to like deploy networks, and you have to incur a lot of debt to do it. Um, and I expect that over time, like the Helium model becomes like the predominant way to deploy like telecom infrastructure, just because it makes so much more sense. Fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, I remember. Um, so when Coinbase Cloud was first looking into supporting Helium validators, um, I actually went back and. Part of, part of the way in which we make decisions that my team is responsible for looking into the protocols, understanding how they work, creating documentation on it. And so I went back and I actually read all the blog posts that you guys have ever published up until that point. And one of them was, uh, you know, the, that initial post where you said that you were going to 
you know, use a chain, uh, like use a, use a blockchain, like have your own blockchain. And I remember reading it, and you were so um, not circumspect, but you you basically made it seem like, hey, you know, nobody's happy that we have to do this, but we've looked at all the other options. This is the one we got to go with. <laughs> and so I thought that, I thought that was quite funny, you know, looking back because was, this was already like a year or two down the line. And then looking back, and it's like, well, their chain is actually doing quite well. But you know, when they were first communicating it, it wasn't clear that they were like all 100% bought in that this was like an obvious choice. Yeah, no, it's funny. You, funny you describe it that way. I got to go back and read that. But I, I think our lens has always been that doing things with a blockchain is, in general, the worst possible way to do something, unless you like really have to do it that way, right? And and like one of the things that I remember thinking during the ICO craze in like 17 and 18 was that like, like, why would you, why would you do it this way? Right. Right. Like maintaining a blockchain and like doing all this, it's like so much work that unless you have to do it that way, like is the only way to like accomplish the outcome. Um, then like, why would you do that? And like someone described it once as like the only, you should only use a blockchain if, if what you're trying to accomplish is either impossible or illegal. And I, I, I think that was like probably like <laughs> that's a reasonable, reasonable way of like summarizing, I think, what we were thinking at the time, which was that, OK, we know there's going to be a ton of work. Like the, the, our team had a lot of experience with distributed systems and like we, we knew what we were getting into. Um, and so we didn't take it lightly that, that way. It wasn't it wasn't like a marketing piece for an ICO or something. Right. Like we, we, we understood the magnitude of of what we're getting into but i don't think we understood just how big it could get or or how how successful it could be um but yeah it's funny <laughs> i gotta go back and i gotta go back and read that yeah no and i um so i want i want to dive in a, a little bit deeper here because um you know you guys knew how hard it was going to be because you have this experience and because frankly like the different blockchain building frameworks weren't i, I would say like fully developed back when you were making a decision in 2017. Like, I don't think Cosmos was even operational at that time. Um, so there was really nothing for you to use. Like, you had to build from scratch or fork um, an existing protocol. But, um, you know, it, so so it's kind of fascinating from that perspective. But going to Coinbase Cloud, like, we've been operating nodes with you guys for, I don't know, one, one or two years now. Actually, I don't remember when we got started, but it's, it's quite a long time. And I love you guys, but it's been fairly challenging to operate helium infrastructure. Um, and I, I think that, you know, as far as I know, helium's probably had like the most either like instability or downtime um, of like any of the major, any, any, any of the major chains. And I think a lot of that has to do with just like how fast you guys grew, which was outside of the realm of what anybody probably thought possible. Um, but I love it if you could like chime in there about like the process of, okay, so you know, you knew how hard it was gonna be and then you guys have had like fire drill after fire drill for a couple of years as you were dealing with like this insane growth. Like what happened? Like, why was it so difficult? Like what were the things that, that were breaking? God. Yeah. No, it's um, so when we started, like Ethereum existed, right? Like it was yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and we looked at it actually for, for like the very first version of the white paper actually talks about h &T being an ERC 20 token. Um, but I think we, we quickly, at least with the architecture that we had in mind, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, is it, like we realized that that would never work, right? Like the fee structure would just be impossible. Um, and the kinds of things that we wanted to do on chain would just be too expensive. Um, so that's when we started down the path of, of building our own. And 
you know, I think we tried to like borrow where we could, you know, so the, the peer-to-peer library is is kind of an implementation of libp2p, which was the, the IPFS and, and Filecoin um, peer-to-peer library. Um, but, you know, we, we made a bunch of architecture decisions to like kind of get to your question that I, I want to say we're either foolish or idealistic, like depending, depending on like, <laughs> depending on your like, <laughs> That's awesome. depending on your, on your exact lens, but they, they like, for example, we, we were very focused on every node in the network being a full node, right? Like if you remember back and, you know, cause I remember you were involved in the, in the Helium community in the early days, you know, we were like, I think we were the only blockchain that didn't have any kind of validator set, you know, like every single hotspot on the network, which were these Raspberry Pi based devices was like a full node on the network and could be running the consensus protocol at any time, like could literally be running the network. And yeah, we, we thought, we what, thought what I learned, that, what I learned that, by the way, when I learned that, that that is what was happening, like my mind exploded. <laughs> I was just like, that is the most like aggressive design decision that I've probably ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it, it, and the fact that, you know, the way it would work is that you had this sort of consensus group of like 16 hotspots and they would run the Honey Badger BFT consensus protocol and they would get picked at, at kind of at random um, to, to like run the network. And so you literally had like this extremely decentralized network. Like we had, I, I don't remember at what point it really broke and we had to switch to like the validator model, but you know, we were well over a hundred thousand hotspots before we, we, we had to make that change. Yeah. And so- and, and, and let me actually like, just break that down for people so folks understand. So when you look yeah. at, you know, like Ethereum, right? With with proof of stake today, there's a few thousand, um, you know, individual nodes, and there's about four hundred thousand validators. Um, but if you look at like most other chains, um, you're really gonna get on the order of a couple of hundred to maybe a couple of thousand validators on proof of stake networks, because these validators all need to communicate with one another, be aware of one another. It's not like proof of work mining where you can just mine and nobody knows or cares, like until you produce a block. Uh, here, they have to keep track of one another. So the the magnitude of what Amir is talking about right now of having over a hundred thousand entities, right? They're they like these super teeny tiny underpowered hotspots that are also doing useful work and like providing radio signal, also participate in the creation of blocks and keeping this blockchain going and secure is insanity. Like truly insanity. Like the scale of it is <laughs> crazy. It's, so please, please continue. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that it worked at all was was incredible, right? And and you know, I think Helium was by far the largest continuous peer-to-peer uh, -peer network that's ever been built, right? Like, I think at its peak, something like 700,000 um, nodes, like all connected to each other on this peer-to-peer -peer network at all times. Uh, and so that the amount of, of problems that you, because it's like uncharted territory, basically, right? As, as far as computer science problem solving goes. People would be like, "Oh, but the, the Bitcoin network is huge." I'm like, "There's only like ten thousand Bitcoin full nodes, right?" And like far fewer, far fewer miners, right? And so the scale of what was being done, like under the hood, uh, was really quite impressive. And so impressive or, or crazy, like I, I don't know, but it, it was definitely breaking though. Like you had all kinds of problems with the original model because not everyone has a good kind of internet connection at home. And I don't just mean in terms of bandwidth. I mean like firewalls and NAT and like when you're on a peer-to-peer -peer network, 
I mean, the internet is pretty hostile to peer-to-peer networks. That was a whole set of problems for, for a long time, right? Just that model alone was, was a set of problems. Fundamentally, though, and so we, we abandoned that after a while. We switched to this validator model, which looks a lot, a lot similar to, to any proof-of-stake network. But the other fundamental design, design decision, which even after the validator switch made it very difficult to scale, was trying to do literally everything on-chain. Right. So every proof of coverage receipt. So like every time a hotspot would like transmit a beacon, uh, which is what we call them, is like how the proof system works. Like one hotspot like transmits and the other hotspots around it receive. And that, that's how the sort of proof system works. Um, but to validate those receipts, because there's so many hotspots now, you know, anyone validating the receipt has to look at every hotspot in the area and like predict whether or not that was reasonable or not or whether that was valid. And so the, the, the overhead of like cryptography is substantial. Um, the same goes for data packets. You know, there's a very complicated like buying process where, you know, a hotspot makes an offer and like, you know, someone pays for it. And it's, it's again, very novel, very clever, but extremely complicated, impossible to debug. Uh, and as the network grew at the scale, um, kind of outgrew our ability to like engineer it if, if effectively, right? And so, that those were like that really is the set of design decisions that I think has been the most challenging is that you know deciding to do everything on chain uh, is extremely difficult because um, it not only is computationally expensive uh, but the iterations are very very hard like the downtime that you're talking about is usually from us attempting to upgrade the network in some way but because it's so deeply intertwined and so complicated. Uh, any change anywhere can have this like catastrophic, catastrophic like knock-on effect, and that's what's been the most challenging to deal with, and and that's kind of what this this last helium improvement proposal really like looks to address is is like how do we how do we break up the architecture into like into simpler pieces? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the amount of things that you guys were working on simultaneously that like brought helium together is actually kind of insane. I I, I wrote it out here. Um, so it's it's kind of like the most aggressive multi-sided marketplace because it contains software, hardware, blockchain, mesh network, a permanent community, a token, and an enterprise user base, and like IoT devices all at the end of it. Um, and so like when you're dealing with, with just that many factors that are all intertwined, it gets quite difficult. Um, so I, I think like I have, I have a couple of questions there. I think for one, um, what what gave you the most trouble? Like, like, how did you balance building everything out? Were you, were you like hopping around fire to fire? Was everything being built simultaneously? And like, what was causing the most breakage for you? Um, I think definitely proof of coverage has been the biggest challenge to 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 scale, just because it was growing so quickly in terms of the hotspot count. Like, we we had this, you know, the model that we had, um basically meant that as the hotspot count grew, the complexity of validating proof of coverage grew like exponentially with it. And so that was by far the hardest thing. And the reason that mattered so much is that like that's why people were buying hotspots. It was like to participate in proof of coverage, to earn HNT, and having like inconsistency or like periods of time where that wasn't, you know, working, you know, reliably or or consistently. I think was causing the most frustration and the most angst in in the ecosystem. Uh, the second most challenging one was definitely getting sensor reliability to be good enough. And again, that's like a function of the design decision that I mentioned, where we, we were trying to do all of this sort of bidding and asking for for packets on chain. 
um, just made there, it made there so many potential places where it would fail. It's already like anything to do with radio frequency stuff is already prone to like a number of like physical world failures, right? Like interference, like the sensor's broken, you know, who knows, right? There's so many, ignoring the blockchain stuff, like there's already so many places that a sensor would not be able to send data for, for whatever number of reasons. As soon as you start adding in all this other complexity, like trying to debug why someone's temperature sensor like wasn't sending data, it just became so hard. And so, you know, that's been a challenge because I think there've been sort of peaks and troughs in terms of like users and customers wanting to use the network. At times it hasn't been reliable enough. Um, you know, so th that's a challenge. But as you said, like we, we're tackling like all sides of the market at, at once, like building block explorers and apps and hardware and firmware and, you know, tracking applications like cargo, building sensors for like demos, you know, like so hard to do it all at, at once, like incredibly impressed that we, we did any of it, um, honestly, but definitely learned a lot in terms of like what matters the most and like, and places where we could make our lives a lot easier if we just simplified. Yeah. And, and how did you guys prevent burnout? Like that's just so much. I, I don't know that I have like a perfect answer to that. I mean, I, I think we probably on the team have all suffered it at some point or, or another. Um, for me personally, like the fact that we're working on something this exciting and this sort of groundbreaking is what prevents me from, from ever burning out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, a team of stallions, I guess, is the, is, is the answer. Like, I, I don't know, I don't think I have a great answer for you. Yeah. You know, I don't know if anybody, um, I don't know if anybody has a really great answer, but I'd be curious to maybe take a little poll of both protocol teams and also infrastructure providers, because I think everybody's dealing with it in some way, shape, or form. And I don't think anybody's really found a way to do all of this in a sustainable in a sustainable fashion. I was I was joking a little bit with my team because uh, somebody was talking about it, it's like okay, well, what if Helium has this like huge amount of usage and like Solana has some degraded performance or or downtime or something like that? Like what what happens then? And I was literally like, you know, as far as the Helium team is concerned, they're like, it's not our problem. You know, like now it's at Atoli's problem, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean the the way we try to like architect the design of like HIP seventy, which is the which is the proposal that sort of proposes to move to Solana, but more importantly, uh, sort of rethinks the architecture of like how Helium works, is that it doesn't actually matter a great deal if the chain itself is down for a while. Like right. at some point it starts to matter, right? Like you do need to settle like token balances eventually. Yeah. But and, and this it, is just it, from like the Oracle operations that like keeps the hotspot going? Hotspots, like proof of coverage keeps going, like data transfer keeps going. They keep track of balances. They keep track of like the settlement, basically, right? They just right, can't actually that right. they can't settle because the L one is dead, but they eventually will settle, right? And and so, it, as long as the chain isn't down for like weeks of, of time or something like that, which is cat a catastrophic event, then everything kind of feels like it's normal and will be settled later. You can't send HNT around. You can't send uh, IoT or mobile tokens around. But eventually, you know, the chain comes back. Hopefully everything settles, it goes back to normal. So that was a very important design consideration, whether it was Solana or our own L1 or like literally anything, because yeah. um, there's all sorts of scenarios. And the one, the one that we talked about a lot in the community, because one of the questions that comes up all the time is like, why aren't you using Ethereum? It never goes down. But I'm like, yeah, but if, I, if it costs me $200 to like submit the transaction to Ethereum, then it's effectively down, right? The Oracle 
has to wait until you know the, the cost of transactions on Ethereum falls again, and then it will like submit. And, and, and so that's basically downtime, right? As far as, as far as we're concerned is that the network is too expensive to use. Um, so lots of different ways to like slice the problem. But I think from the Helium point of view, it's just important that our like universe of infrastructure like is able to continue on even if the blockchain itself isn't available. So would you say that Helium is Solana's first L2? In, in kind of a funny way, right? Because it can continue operating and then it settles uh, into Solana, you know, once in a while, if Solana some, has some turbulence, it's okay, you can just wait to settle, but like you can just continue doing what you're doing. Like in kind of a funny way, isn't that a little bit directionally correct? Yeah, directionally correct. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of teams out there that would be arguing whether they're the first at L2. <laughs> it's not something like we, we care about that much, but it, it, it directionally, yes. And I think if we were to have done it on Ethereum back in those days, like we would have had to end it up with some architecture that looked like Polygon or something, right? Where it's almost like a chain running alongside the chain um, because it would be the only way to, to bring the cost down sufficiently. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it, it's all going to be kind of interesting. I mean, for us, like we were just maniacally focused on like, how do you make proof of coverage better and how do you make data transfer better? And where token balances get settled, like uh, whatever, you know, Solana is by far the best way that we think to do that. Um, but it's it's also not the thing that we're most excited about. Got it. Got it. No, that's, that's super helpful. Um, so looking back and kind of like in the, in the memory bank a little bit, is there, is there a specific moment that you decided that you're like, okay, I am ready to not have our own blockchain anymore. I'm, I'm ready to transition. Me personally was quite a long time ago. Really? Um, yeah. Like I started having this thought, probably in 2020 at some point no where, that's a long time ago yeah where it it became and i wasn't sure how to do that right like there's a lot of hand waving going going on when i say that it right? wasn't like there was a well-formed plan for like how that would work certainly nothing that you know like hip 70 or, or like anything we're contemplating today but it, you know it, it started to occur to me and this is i think what happens in startups in general right like having done this for a long enough time both with helium and prior like as soon as you ship the thing into a user's hands, like it becomes very like apparent very, very quickly what they care about the most and is not what you thought, right? Like whatever internal arguments you were having and like, you know, whatever stuff you thought was important inside is like not what's important, right? And, and so, you know, as soon as people started to see like proof of coverage, like the thing for me that really set it off, when we first launched, proof of coverage would happen every hour. Right? Like there, was, there were few enough hotspots on the network that doing it every 60 blocks, which every block was a minute long, worked fine. As soon as that started to change, that's when people started to get the most upset, right? Because that consistency of like, I have this thing and it's just doing stuff all the time and it's awesome and I can see it. it that's, that perception was, even though the earnings were exactly the same, whether it happened, it was like earning 10 cents every hour or earning a dollar every, you know, like 10 hours or whatever. It was the same it was the same dollar amount, but something about like that consistent flow of, you know, stuff happening was really important to people. And that's, that was the first time for me where I started to think like, okay, it would be amazing if this could be faster. Right. And, and that then led me down this path of thinking of like, okay, how would you make it faster? And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be on this chain. It wouldn't be with one minute blocks and it wouldn't be with like hotspots being full nodes. And so I, I think for me, it's always been about like, what, what is it that people want out of Helium? Like for, 
for miners, they want consistency and frequency um, and visibility. And for users of the network, they, they need reliability. Like 90, that it works 98% of the time is basically that it doesn't work. And so, you know, it has to kind of be perfect on the sensor side. And so when you look at it from that lens, like you, you should just be optimizing just for those two things, regardless what, you know, what you've built. Like there's a sort of, there's a thing called the sunk cost fallacy where like, because you've built all this stuff, like you feel like you have to always keep doing it. Uh, and you don't, right? Like you just have to have like the fortitude to like in, sort of endure the pain of switching, uh, whether that's internal or external or, or whatever. But it, it it's definitely not easy to like, think about sort of abandoning a thing that you spent four or five years building, but at the same time, you just got to realize that there's a better tool for the job sometimes. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's, it's super interesting that you say that there's a number of teams that have faced similar questions and had to come up with answers. And I think DYDX is another team that a lot of folks think about. Um, I think they were, if I remember correctly, on Ethereum before, then they had their own L2. That was, I, I believe it was a Validium or, or something similar from Starkware. Um, now they're launching or, or building a Cosmos SDK-based chain uh, where they can bring the order book um, on-chain. So they've continued to evolve, and they're you know viewing the underlying chain as the uh, as a tool, right, rather than like the end-all, be-all, or rather than as a religious experience. Um, and it's it's kind of funny to me because you have a lot of folks that try to draw inferences from it of oh, this means that. Cosmos is good, or Solana is good, or Ethereum is good, or blah 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 blah. And the reality is that just that all the tech, you know, is it's kind of okay right now. We're all of us and on every chain are so far away from where we want to be, and teams that are so far ahead of like for their for their use case like, and what they want out of the chain that they're using need to be flexible and hop around um, to whatever technology is, is best able to serve them. And if a technology is no longer able to do that. Um, it creates a ceiling on their growth and, and abilities. And so their choices are to keep bumping up against that ceiling or try to figure out something else. And it sounds like that's what you guys did. Yeah, I mean, DOIDX, perfect example, right? Like they are a situation where the the type of L1 they use matters a great deal for what they're trying to do, right? And, and that a totally different, like that might be the right decision and maybe the wrong decision, I, I don't know. But at least they have some rationale around why that makes that why they need to do that, right? Why, why that makes sense. I'm, I'm certain they didn't arrive at that decision lightly. Um, and so that's a very different, that's the right thought process, I think. And the way you describe it, I think exactly correct, right? Like the, the L1 or a blockchain is just a tool to accomplish whatever goal it is that you, you have in mind. And I, I think when I look at Helium, the goal is so clear at this point. And it, and it wasn't always, right? Like it, it's not like this was, you know, blatantly obvious the whole way through. Like now it it is, is so clear that what matters, it's so clear what matters the most uh, and trying to like optimize around that rather than the technology decision, I think is really what, what matters. Like don't really care what the technology is as long as it is capable of doing those things that Helium needs. Uh, and that that's, you know, I think that's the important lens to look at it at rather than exactly as you said, like a religious experience where it's like, I have to be my own L1 just because, right? And Lots of people feel that way, and then when you try and like dig in and really understand like why it is you feel that way, it, there isn't much, there isn't enough there, right, to like justify what is ultimately tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars a year's worth of of cost. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes there absolutely is, um, but most of the time, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, it just doesn't add up. Yeah, but um, no, that's that's. 
Yeah, it's super fascinating. Um, I'm really, I'm also really keen to see how our viewpoints change in the next couple of years as as more and more people come to bat um, and and have and have these experiences. One thing I did want to really want to ask you about is, as part of your process, I mean, obviously you've known Anatoly for a long time. You guys have had a relationship with Solana for a long time, um, but you know, one of the things you guys did is actually looked around at other different solutions. And so you mentioned you looked at Cosmos SDK. Um, I'd be really curious to get your take. Like, what are the different solutions that you looked like? Uh, th sorry, that you looked at. Um, you know, what are the things that that were important to you as you're making your considerations? And what is your perception of like, you know, which ecosystems or or technologies or solutions are you know, doing really well and are well positioned, even if even if if you didn't ultimately select them, and which ones are you a little bit, you know, have a little bit of open to remaining questions on? Yeah, I mean, part of the challenge I think that that we faced, and presumably anyone in our position faces, is that there's just so many options now, right? Like there, there's sort of a, it's the opposite, exact opposite situation that, that we had in 2017, where there are like now so many options that you know evaluating all of them like to the full extent. Uh, isn't even feasible, right? Like, are you supposed to build like a, you know, a sort of prototype of Helium on like 10 different chains just to sort of validate your thing is really, really difficult. Have, have you have you talked to Audius? So, Renel, yeah, yeah Renel from Audius, I, I am, you know, full disclosure, I, I made like a teeny tiny, um, you know, angel check in, in one of their first rounds. Um, but I think they built something like 20 different POCs, if I remember correctly, for Audius, because you know what they needed just like could not be done by basically by anybody uh, until they decided to they were one of the first teams that started leveraging solana for a part of their infrastructure yeah i mean i remember they were they originally on ethereum i, I forget yeah I think yeah was, they were they were on ethereum a, and they're, they're, yeah. they're, their token and their governance still lives on ethereum but the execution of the actual like songs and all that stuff happens on solana oh interesting yeah no i mean we, no reneal uh just because like we're we're multi-coin sister companies and and you know we've met a few times but you know we, we looked at uh, like a whole bunch of different options um you know obviously we we have this history with solana um but that really wasn't the thing that we were the most concerned with i mean i, I do think just for full disclosure I, I do think having like access to like senior people in these projects is, is a factor right like the fact that like we can reach someone in a critical situation or to like understand how to do something that that is that does have some value, but I, I also recognize that that's kind of an unfair positioning. Um, but I mean, there was a few things that we looked at. I mean, transaction cost was was one of the most obvious, of, of course, just because that was the biggest pain that we had uh, when we looked at Ethereum. And I, I don't think anyone is doing it quite the same way that Solana is doing it. We'll see. We'll see how that evolves with the the fee market and and everything else that they're uh, that they're releasing. Um, transaction throughput was definitely a factor, but also not a huge one because we we are doing so much off chain um, in the new model that it didn't really matter other than to think about like okay, well, how big could Solana get in general, and how many other applications are you sharing, you know, access to the network with? Um, the fact that they have like a fairly, I don't know, credible like stability plan over time, like you know, one of the things I think with Ethereum that's that's unknown is that the roadmap is changing dramatically on an unknown timeline you know like would you would you build something on ethereum today knowing that the merge happens you know several days from now i don't know you know we don't exactly know what comes out of the other side or like how that looks 
Um, so having like some level of consistency around like what the plan looks like, I think was was important for us. And then you start to get into like, okay, well, how big is the how big are the ecosystems? Like, how many developers are there? How big is the DeFi ecosystem? And I don't know whether you measure that by TVL or like whatever you want to look at there. Another interesting thing for us was that Solana has, I think, the only other like proof of physical work uh, project on it. So things like Hive Mapper and Demo and Steppen and things like that. Maybe others, but composability into those applications was something that we thought was potentially interesting. The fact that they're doing so much work on the mobile stack is potentially very interesting for us. The fact they have a phone is interesting. Um, the fact that they use Rust as a as a language for both the chain and the smart contract environment was also important to us, both because we understand Rust well, but there's a big developer ecosystem and developers that we can pull from there. So, you know, it, it's those, we're going to release like a, a sort of proper matrix the way that that people want. But that was really the things that, matter to us and you know stuff like wallets and exchange support um all, all of that kind of stuff you know with the spl standard that that also matters i think a lot of other l1s do that too but we've experienced kind of firsthand how hard it is to get someone like ledger for example to like adopt you as like a first class citizen even when you do all the work which with which we have so and i understand why there's all sorts of security concerns and everything else they have to worry about but it's just a lot of legwork um, that ideally you wouldn't you wouldn't have to do and someone has done ahead of you. Yeah, S super interesting to hear your take on it because um, I, I definitely get what you're saying about the Ethereum roadmap and it has it has changed um, and it continues to change over time. But uh, I have a little bit of the opposite take, which is I actually have more questions and I'm I'm very close with the Solana team and I know and love Anatoly Raj and Austin and, and the rest of them. Um, and also, Crumbies Cloud is obviously a supporter and validator on Solana. Um, but I actually have more questions about the Solana roadmap because I think that the like monolithic thesis I am not as aligned with just because my expectation of the TPS, the transactions per second across crypto, will be like over a billion TPS. Um, and so actually, this is, by the way, this is a fun question. If you ever if you ever look at a at a crypto party and you're curious like what how people think about the future. Ask them what they think the the TPS will be like once you know crypto hits like mainstream adoption like whatever that means for them, um, and so it, it's it's fascinating to hear hear your take. But we're we're running a little bit short on time, and so we're recording this podcast episode on Wednesday, September seventh. On the twelfth is when the vote will go live for Hip seventy, and Hip seventy is the uh, proposal to transition Helium from having its own chain to leveraging the Solana blockchain, along with a number of other changes around how the network itself works and the introduction of oracles and you know all the other stuff that was that was mentioned. Um, that's going to be right around the time that this podcast episode will be released. And so uh, I'd love to maybe leave it off with what would you like to say to the Helium, you know, miners, token holders, enterprises, community members, like everybody that's part that's part of the the ecosystem the community you know what would you what are the words you love to leave them off with in regards to hip 70. yeah i mean i think we've, we've done a bunch of of different town halls and amas and and like one of the things i think is really important to take away from hip 70 is it's not the the solana hip right like solana is part of of what's being proposed but really i think people in the helium community especially should be looking forward to you know proof of coverage that happens hourly with with regularity uh, for sensor data that's extremely reliable for 
the programmatic treasuries to come online, which is is what enables the sort of network of networks to become real. Um, like that, that's really what matters out of out of this proposal. Uh, we 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 hope to make it a very seamless transition. So if you're a HNT holder, nothing should really change for you. You should just open your wallet app one day, and it happens to be on Ethereum, a bit on Solana, sorry, and you don't even know. Um, like that's you know that's the goal, right? Is this very seamless? HNT isn't going away. You know we've got all kinds of questions about like, am I mining Sol now? Is HNT dead? Like, what's the point of HNT? And and really, you know what we wanted. If this goes well then what should happen is that users just don't know other than everything got better and faster somehow. That would be success, right? Is that, is that the, the blockchain part is so abstracted away from the user experience, whether you are a deployer of, sensor data, of sensors, of cell phones, of 5G radios, of IoT hotspots, it doesn't really matter. It should feel the same, just be better. And that's, you know, that's the, the main takeaway rather than getting too deep into the wars on I can't believe you pick Solana versus, you know, whatever other like Cardano or something, right? Like that's that that's not that's not the the problem statement that we had. It wasn't which blockchain should you pick. It's how do you build the best architecture uh, for Helium? And we think Solana is the best L1 to use in that in that scope. But it's it's not really about it's not really about that. Yeah, and you know, as a as a user, um, so I have I have only about like. Maybe eight dollars worth of HNT. Um, very, very, very little. But uh, I have been earning mobile because I'm running a you know um, couple of five G hotspots since I, I just think it's so it's so cool. Um, so I have received mobile rewards, and I see it in my wallet, and I look at it, and I'm just like, you know, while it's on the Helium blockchain, I literally have no idea what I will ever do with these tokens. And so, as a user, I'm particularly keen on um, you know the transition to. Uh, Solana, I hope Hip70 does well, and you know I'm excited to see what the community thinks of it. Um, but I'm just excited to be able to freely transfer my tokens and use the wallets that I that I want to <laughs> use, and like you know have all the DeFi integrations and just have like a really smooth, easy experience. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I mean, people are gonna start doing stuff with HNT, IoT, and mobile that we can't exactly predict. And like some people have already started thinking about like reward splits. That's a thing the community's been asking for for the longest time. We have people that own like a hundred hotspots, but give them to friends and then share the rewards. And they've wanted to be able to like programmatically like split up the rewards. And like now that's a thing that someone can just write as a as a smart contract and not have to to do sort of deep in the L1. And so there's just so much stuff that's going to happen and come out of this. Um, and once this podcast go, goes live, we'll only be eight days away from Helium House, which is um, an, an event we're doing in New York. And there'll be a bunch of of stuff that we reveal and, and talk about then as well. So. There's so much exciting stuff coming. I, I having a, such a hard time like not talking about all the all the stuff that's coming in the future because I know everyone will yell at me inside the company. So I'm I'm trying to be uh, I'm trying to keep it all under wraps. But there's a lot of there's a lot of awesome stuff coming, and um, yeah, I can't wait for everyone to to see it. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, Amir, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. It's been so lovely to have you. Um, and I wish you luck with the vote and with Helium, and super excited for you guys. Thank you. It was a pleasure and hope to be back again one day soon. Now with that, I'd love to give a huge thank you to Amir Halim for coming on. That was a great conversation. I loved having him. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, make sure that you click like, subscribe, comment, slide into my DMs, uh, do whatever you feel like to let us know how you feel about it. 
Um, and if you'd like to hear more, please go to coinbeescom forward slash around the block. Um, there's one episode in particular you guys should check out, and that was the podcast that I hosted with Brian and Vitalik talking about decentralization, cred credible neutrality, and a whole bunch of other topics. And with that, until next time. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties. 